I learned how to drive in Mexico City. At the time when I was living there, it was around the summer of oh, 1989, and Mexico City was the largest city in the world, and it was an interesting time to learn how to drive. Now, obviously, I learned how to drive when I was younger right here in Houston. I thought Houston was crazy. Uh-uh. Mexico City, 25 million people, 35 million dogs running around the street. No. Mexico City is a crazier place to learn how to drive. That's simply how it is. So what I would do at the time, I would uh, spend, I was there uh, working on a mission project. Our church uh, here Second Baptist many years ago started, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout the entire country of Mexico. And I went down there to uh, check on our church, plant, church plants and also to look at the training we were giving our local pastors. So I lived there for an entire summer. So during the day, I would spend time uh, hanging out with our local Mexican missionaries. Now, these missionaries, many of them uh, had never driven a car before in their entire life. They may be 40, 50, but they had never driven a car before. They spoke zero English, okay? I'm talking zero English. And my Spanish was poquito, okay? It, it, at best. So imagine here I am in a van that our church donated, driving around Mexico City, not understanding how to drive yet really in that country with this missionary, and, and our language barrier was tough. So I had many fun and amazing experiences there. But one day I remember I was with a particular missionary, and we had gone out into the particular area where we were talking to people about Christ and about the church. And, and uh, then we how we got into a field, I don't know, but we ended up in this white van driving through a field somewhere in some neighborhood in Mexico City. Well, as we were driving off-road, why we were driving off-road, I do not know, but I do remember driving and making a wrong turn, and we, wind, we wound up stuck in the field. So we got out of the car, we looked, said, hey, we're stuck. Hey, maybe if you pushed a little bit, if you pushed... And, and we could get out, so we tried to push. You know, I, I did the thing that's really effective. I floored it, zzz, and then I realized, man, this is mud here, and we were sinking. So the faster I was going to get out of this quagmire, this mud, the more my wheels were spinning and the less traction that I was making. Incredibly frustrating, right? So I'm sure this guy was frustrated too. He's like, who is this idiot gringo who doesn't know how to drive a car and can't get it out of the mud? It's me. That's who the idiot gringo is. So anyway, we're stuck there. And, and I thought about that. I've thought about that, that scenario many times in my life. And I, and I compare it to, to life, if you would. You say, why do you compare being stuck in the mud to life? Because I'm a preacher and we're weird and we're just, we're desperate for stories, right? So I compare it to life. In life, sometimes you're driving along, things are great, you know where you're going, and all of a sudden you make a wrong turn and you feel like you're stuck in the mud. And the more you try to get out of that, the, more, the deeper you get into your problem. And so sometimes we end up stuck in the mud of the past. Perhaps you've been there before. You can say, hey, that's me. I know what you're talking about. I've been there. I feel like I, I want to get out of this mess. I'm trying to fix the circumstances, the problem, but my life is spinning in the mud and I feel stuck. And many times we can't get out. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed. 
And then we want to start pointing the finger at other people. It wasn't my fault that I'm stuck in the mud. It's their fault. But we, we're, we're not moving forward in our life. And, and we're stuck in the mud of our past. We want to get back on the road. We want to start moving forward, but we can't. Now, one of the books I turn to a lot when I feel stuck and where I need some encouragement is this really short book in the New Testament. It's called the book of Philippians. Philippians, it's only four chapters, but it's four forceful and powerful chapters that I turn to again and again in my life when I feel like I'm stuck in the past and needing to move forward. Love the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, if you're watching at home right now, or if you're here in the worship center, if you have a Bible, open to the book of Philippians. If not, then look on the screen right there or right below me and you will see the book of Philippians chapter number four. I think it's four, I actually think it's chapter three. Let me check this out here. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's chapter three actually. So it says Philippians two, I mean Philippians four, it's Philippians three. So my, my error there. So look at Philippians three verses 12 through 14. And here's a passage to get us unstuck. It says, not that I've already obtained it, or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So the guy writing this, writing this letter is a guy by the name of Paul. I, I love the opening of this, of this verse here in Philippians 3, not 4, where he says, I haven't figured it out yet. Paul who is one powerful leader, one brilliant guy, who has a ton of experience in his life, in his relationship with God, also has a past that he probably wants to forget. But he says, hey, listen, I don't have it all together. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm not perfect. He says, I'm following God. I'm following Christ. But I still have a long way to go. Look at verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Again, he says it three times. I love that. I love the humility of a powerful guy like Paul. I've not figured it out yet. I've not totally dialed it in yet. I haven't lived a perfect life. Check this out. But one thing I do. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know if Paul played sports, but Paul loved to use sports analogies and metaphors. Here he is talking about a race. He's like, in my race, this race called life, I don't have time to look back behind me. 
I don't want to look to my left or my right. I've got to look straight ahead at the finish line. And if you ever run track or run a race, you know you don't look behind you. You don't look to the left or the right. Or if you're clearing those hurdles, you look straight ahead to the finish line. So that's what he was saying. He was saying, hey, listen, I have got a call on my life. I've been called by God, just like God has called you. He has a call on your life. And it's so easy when we're in the thick of life or when we're kind of stuck in the weeds or our wheel is spinning in the mud. It's easy to get off track and to get stuck and to start looking to our left or our right or looking behind us and wondering why did this happen? Why did that happen? And we get stuck in the past. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not going to do that. Now, again, the context is always critical. Paul is writing from prison. I mean, talk about social isolation and confinement. He's in prison in Rome. He's writing to a church, say, like Second Baptist, like somewhere in Houston, in Philippi. And he's telling that, listen, I'm not resting on what I've done in the past. I know that God has forgiven some of the things I've done in the past, but I want to press on to the prize that God has for me and the call he has on my life right now in this place. So one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm forgetting the old. I'm leaving behind yesterday so I can move into today and today will propel me into tomorrow. I'm leaving behind what's old to press on and to see what God has for me that is new. So this passage here in Philippians chapter 3, okay, to me is a, is a parallel to one of my favorite quotes by my favorite philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard. Here's this quote. You've probably seen it on a poster or you've seen it scribble somewhere on a wall somewhere. It's kind of a popular quote. It said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So let's, let's, let's kind of break this down a little bit. What does that mean? How does it relate to this passage? Well, when you think about your life, you can really un only understand it when you look back in the past. As the worn out cliche says, hindsight is what? 2020, okay? So it's only by looking back in the past that we sometimes, by the way, can understand what that meant. So it's good to reflect upon your past. It's good to learn from your past, but you can't dwell on the past. You can't stay there. So life can't be lived in the past. It's gotta be lived in the now. So it can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. So, How do we do that? 
Because what Kierkegaard is saying here is that we live right here. You have the past, you have the now, the present, and then you have the unknown and uncertain future. So Kierkegaard, as Paul was as well, was all about the uncertainty and the unknowns and the mystery of following God. And he said, when we are in the middle here, we're filled many times with anxiety and with despair and with confusion because we haven't made a choice. A choice to make a decision today. A choice that will do something that we can do today to follow God that will propel us into the unknown and uncertain future. Making that choice is what Kierkegaard called the the leap of faith or the leap of trust. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know the new things that God has for me or for us, but I do know that there is a God. I do know that this God does love me. I do know that this God cares for me. And I do know that this God knows the future. So I'm going to put my trust and I'm going to choose to obey him and to step out and trust him with whatever decision I have to make with the amount of imperfect and uncertain knowledge that I have right now. So I want to move forward with God into the future. Perhaps once I make these choices, and perhaps once I have some time behind me, I will begin to understand better, not perfectly, what happened in the past. So how do we do that? How does that connect to what Paul is saying? Well, as I mentioned last week, many of you have been watching, I think, the, the documentary on ESPN, The Last Dance. If, you, if you've been watching that, raise your hand. If you've been watching The Last Dance, the story of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, a really interesting um, commentary on, on Michael Jordan, perhaps the greatest basketball player who's ever played, definitely one of them. And um, someone told me a story about Jordan uh, that happened many years ago, which I think is reflective of, of his career um, as a pro athlete. And uh, when he decided to go pro, his junior year at the University of North Carolina, um, he was drafted, I think, in, in the first round, number three or number four draft pick, signed a big contract, signed another massive contract with Nike, the biggest shoe deal ever done at the time, I believe. And so he's done all that. His, 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 you know, financial future, at least for the next several years, it looks pretty good, pretty set. He is, is being touted as one of the, you know, the greatest players ever to play at North Carolina. A great career in front of him. And, and during that summer, he was practicing there at a gym in Chapel Hill. And after the practice, he went up to the stands and he saw the assistant coach up there sitting around. The assistant coach at the time was Roy Williams, who is now the head coach. And so Michael came up to him, they're sitting there, they're talking, and somewhere in their discussion, Michael asked Coach Williams this one question. 
What can I do to get better? What can I do to get better? And if you look at Jordan's career after that, after his rookie year, after getting selected to the NBA All-Star, after eventually winning one, two, three, four, five, six NBA titles, after winning the gold medal, after even having some success in pro baseball, if you can look at his life as a pro athlete, he kept on asking that question, what can I do to get better? So I ask you the same question. I ask myself the same question. What can I do to get better right now, today? What choices, what decisions can I make right now to make me a better husband, a better father, a better pastor? What can I do to get better? What can I do to make myself a better follower of God, a follower of Christ? What can you do? What can you do right now in your life, in this in-between time, between the past and the future, in the now, what can you do to get better, to improve? That's what Paul was saying here. He's saying, I'm not going to just hang out in the past all the time. I'm not going to get stuck in the past. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to rest on my laurels or what God did yesterday or what my life was like yesterday or last month or last year. No, I am pressing on. I'm moving forward in my life. I'm moving forward with God to this upward call of God. I want to get better. I want to grow now, Paul says, because I have a high calling on my life. One thing I do, forget what lies behind and I strain and I press ahead and I'm not looking over my shoulder in the past. And what gave Paul and what gives us the power to do that? It's the good news of the gospel. The gospel is good News, that's literally what it means. It means to proclaim good news. It's about good news about what God has done in the past for us by coming to us, by living and dying and rising again in Christ that we can be forgiven. It's good news about the future that he has a place for us that's better, that's perfect, where we'll live with him forever. And it's good news in the now, right now, when we have to make these decisions and move forward in our life because he will give us the wisdom. He will give us the grace. He will give us the power to improve and grow and to reach out for what's new today. The gospel is good news when we feel stuck and spinning in the mud. Now, obviously, I got out of the mud there years ago in Mexico City, got the van out of the mud. How did it happen? Someone else had to help us, and they did a thing, of course, that you do, found, found a board, 
jimmied under, under some of the wheels, rocked back and forth, womp, 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 boom, got the van up and got back on the road and started moving forward. And I was relieved to be out of the mud, out of the ditch and moving down the road. Well, it's my prayer for you. It's my hope for you that as you take in this passage in Philippians chapter 3, not 4, that God will give you that grace, give you that power to move forward in your life, not allowing the past to drag you down and to get better and to improve as he leads and as he guides. All right, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for being patient with us. Thank you so much for meeting us all the time on the road of life. When we get off course, when we get spinning around, when we feel ourselves stuck in the mud, God, you rescue us. You've rescued me not once, twice, hundreds of times, God. God, we want to move forward in life. We want to move forward with you. We want to have that attitude that Paul had, God. We want to do that. We desire to do that, but we need your help. We need others' help. God, thank you for this time of invitation. Lead us, Lord, to make commitments to you right now, right here in the worship center and as we're watching there at home. God, we ask for your help. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.